0: Okay. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Self Care Forum podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cedric Badgetu, and today we are joined by none other than Dr. Sherita Warfield. She joins us to discuss diabetes and lifestyle medicine. Dr. Sherita Warfield is board certified in emergency medicine as well as lifestyle medicine. She was born in Detroit, Michigan went on to attend Wayne State University School of Medicine and did residency training at Howard University. To date, she's been practicing emergency medicine for over 23 years and is passionate about the care her patients received. Her work saw her voted as one of Houston's top 25 women in 2011, while she and her husband, Dr. Brett Warfield, were voted one of Houston's top 50 black health professionals in the year of 2014. She is the first physician in her family, a wonderful wife and mother to four beautiful children. Dr. Warfield is also the creator of a podcast called The Trim Den. In addition to being the author of a book, Get Informed, a guidebook for recently diagnosed diabetics and their loved ones. Dr. Warfield, I wanna thank you for joining us for this important conversation on diabetes.
1: Thank you, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Dr. Cedric, thank you. And welcome to all the beautiful people who have joined us today and who will be joining us virtually. Um, It is indeed an honor and a pleasure. I always um, never pass up the opportunity to talk and to educate the masses on uh, the importance of uh, treating and living with diabetes properly. So thank you very much, hopefully, this interview and this recording will be well-received, very information, informative to you, and uh, you walk away with something, some little tidbit, something you didn't quite know or f- fully understand prior to today.
0: I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. But before we get deeper into mm-hmm. diabetes and everything, I uh, just wanted to know a little bit about you and your background. So, um, you know, we mentioned that you were born in Detroit, Michigan. But I wanna know what inspired you to pursue medicine in the first place?
1: Well, I tell you, my, um, my aunt and my godmother were birth, both nurses. And so they inspired me in the sense of going into the healthcare profession. I thought, well, maybe I'd try and be a nurse myself because I had a genuine um, love for the sciences as well as a fascination with the human body. I actually knew um, ever since the fifth grade that I wanted then to become a doctor. I thought nursing at first, but then I said, why stop there? Just, you know, go a little further. And so being a doctor was what I wanted to pursue. I had entered a science fair um, way back when my mom had bought me this like invisible man science project with the, it was invisible, but it had the bodies and the the body parts and the organs and different things that you had to put together and then I did that entered it into the science fair and came in first place and so I guess you could say that kind of solidified okay yeah I can do this along with just again wanting to to help people always you know putting that best foot forward and and wanting to see you know positive outcomes uh you know when I can when I could do it. So I just thought being a doctor would be a way to do that. Um, also I had gone to the ER with one of my neighbors' sisters and I was just so enthralled by just what was going on, all they were doing and how they were scurrying around and everything. And I was like, yeah, oh, I, I like that. And so you know being from inner city Detroit, single parent home, I wasn't supposed to be here. Right. Let statistics tell it. Right. Right. But I had a drive and determination that I knew this is what I was destined to do.
0: Well, that's two key ingredients that can change anybody's future drive and determination instead of excuses. Right.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, in your bio, it says that you're board certified in emergency medicine as well Mm -hmm. as lifestyle medicine. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's sitting here wondering, Okay, we know emergency medicine, but what exactly is lifestyle medicine? Could you elaborate on that, please?
1: Yes, sir. So lifestyle medicine is the um, practice of medicine that studies on the prevention uh, and or slowing down of the development of chronic diseases. Many of the chronic diseases that we are um, that we suffer with, right, are due to. A failure. Okay. So we focus on six pillars of health. And if these six pillars of health are aligned with or in in line and carried out, then it leads to a healthier individual. So basically the six pillars are um, diet and nutrition, physical activity, stress management, social connectedness, uh, sleep health, So making sure you get enough sleep and then also toxic substance abuse or misuse. So we focus is evidence based lifestyle medicine is is based and we focus on a, you know, whole food, predominantly plant based diet, Mm -hmm. along with adequate physical activity based on your age and your ability. Um, Again, getting enough sleep seven to nine hours a night, you know, which a lot of us don't. Figuring mm-hmm. out how to de-stress and live a—you can't live a stress-free life—but you can find those moments where you can exercise, self-care, and meditation, yoga, and what have you, um, to do that. And then decreasing the amount of toxic substances that, that you use—smoking, you know, drinking, drugs, those kind of things. Toxic relationship behavior. So we look at the, those um, six pillars, which are also lifestyle habits that end up getting a lot of us into trouble with these chronic diseases, obesity, diabetes type two, hypertension, cholesterol, strokes, heart attack. And we counseled the patient on a better way to go about living uh, a healthier life.
0: So it sounds to me like what you're saying is a lot of these chronic diseases, uh, the one we'll be discussing today is diabetes, but a lot of these chronic diseases are lifestyle diseases.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely with, um, you know, obesity, uh, it has now been declared a, an epidemic, right? It's a chronic disease that's been now declared an epidemic. And we all know that obesity is directly related to our lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? The amount of foods that we eat, everything is supersized now the type of foods that we eat, everything is processed and full of sugar and salt, sodium, You know, um, the times that we eat, and then our lack of exercise or physical activity. So it might be okay to eat some of those foods, but when you couple that with a decrease in physical activity, um, you don't burn as many calories. So you're not utilizing the food that you're taking in, it ends up getting stored as fat, and then that's a whole cascade of other problems. Same thing with sleep. Sleep has been shown to cause, you know, a lack of sleep has been shown to cause weight gain, a bunch of other problems. You know, it induces further stress. Stress in and of itself is, um, you know, inflammatory to the body. So we, again, think that all of these things together, if you change your lifestyle, certain habits and things that you normally do that are considered harmful, then you end up with a um, you know a better outcome. You can either prevent certain chronic diseases from happening, or reverse some of the chronic diseases, preventing some of the complications and all of that by making uh, certain lifestyle changes.
0: Oh, I love that, and it's yeah. very interesting. You use two words: prevent and even reverse, which isn't commonly used in you know the traditional practice of healthcare. Uh, what you Correct. often hear and see and experience our treatments, right. And, you know, we'll give you a pill, which is the symptom, but you rarely ever hear of an emphasis on, Hey, you need to change, you know, this lifestyle habit. You need to change this dietary habit. Right. it, It almost seems like it's putting the responsibility on the individual.
1: Absolutely. You definitely have to be intentional about your own health. You know, it's so easy to, oh, I can eat this. I can eat that. I'm diagnosed with this, or I'll just take a pill. Well, you know, modern medicine and the way we were all trained. Yes, it is. It's reactive medicine. So we react to once you've already gotten a disease and you're experiencing the symptoms. Like you said, we give you a pill and we treat you and you take the pill and you go on and but you still have the disease. Lifestyle medicine looks at the root cause of the disease. And we try and attract, um, attack it at that level, you know, and kind of walk it back.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Now let's narrow that down into, uh, the chronic disease of the day, uh, which is diabetes, yes. uh, otherwise known as sugar in some households. Um, sugars.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in your own words, um, you know, what is diabetes? I mean, cause we, hear, we often hear it linked to sugar, but what exactly does that mean to the average person?
1: So diabetes, there are several types of diabetes. We have a tendency to loop them all under the umbrella of diabetes, but there are several types. So there's pre-diabetes, which, and a lot of people, when you go to your doctor and they say, Oh, you're pre-diabetic. Well, what does that mean? Do I have diabetes? Not yet, but almost meaning your sugar is higher, higher than normal, but not high enough to be declared a diabetic yet. And, and, and quite honestly, if you're diagnosed with pre-diabetes, that is the best time, the best opportunity to be able to make you know, the lifestyle changes and um, affect your outcome where you either delay or prevent the development of type two diabetes. So, okay, pre-diabetes, Then there's type one diabetes, which is also known as juvenile diabetes or um, early onset. That is when uh, your body does not make insulin. So your beta cells, which are in the pancreas, don't make insulin. So they have to have it injected, right, in order to live. You need insulin to live. And I'll explain that a little further down. Um, But that's what type one or juvenile diabetes is. Type two diabetes is adult onset uh, diabetes, right? So usually that happens as we get older. With juvenile diabetes, it usually happens in younger people. Um, You know, it can start in early, um, like seven, eight, on up to in their twenties, right? But now, because with the onset of obesity, we're seeing a lot more younger people develop type two diabetes. And it's not necessarily because they're um, body is not making insulin type two diabetes is because you have insulin resistance because your body no longer responds to insulin as it should. Wow. Right. And then, and I'll explain that. And then lastly, a uh, gestational diabetes. So you have pre-diabetes type one diabetes, type two diabetes, and then gestational diabetes, which is only found in pregnant women right? Um, And it goes away after delivery of the baby and the placenta, but it puts you at increased risk for developing type two diabetes later down the line. Um, I actually had type, I'm a type two diabetic um, and I had gestational diabetes with my last child and then it went away and five years later it came back. And so um, that was, that was also another motivation for me writing this book um, as well, wow, uh, go ahead.
0: No, you you mentioned that was also another motivation. What was the other?
1: Oh, my mother, my mom had type 2 diabetes okay. and um, ended up suffering from many of the complications. So she smoked, you know, growing up, uh, all my life growing up, but she had type 2 diabetes, and, and I guess. You know, at some point she stopped taking her medicine unbeknownst to me. I didn't know until after the fact that Mm -hmm. she had stopped taking her medicine, you know, getting busy with the daily in and out of raising two young girls by herself. And, you know, we are the we as women are often guilty of taking care of ourselves last. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up losing her eyesight at fifty seven. She lost both her legs, amputation, and she lost her kidneys. Um, and she suffered with that for 11 years before uh, passing away from complications of diabetes. So her story um, definitely was motivating for me to come back um, and do what I needed to do to hopefully prevent it from happening, but it ended up happening anyway. But that goes along the lines of the genetic thing, which we'll talk about. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was another motivating factor because I recognized that there was a need you know, okay, so maybe she didn't know what foods to eat or, you know, what medicines to take the medicines and the importance of taking the medicines. But I find that a lot of patients and a lot of our people in our communities of color are like that as well. Mm-hmm. You get the diagnosis in the exam room, you leave. Now what? They don't know what to do, now know, the right foods to eat, the right snacks, the right time. Should I lose weight? Shouldn't I? Oh, I can just take the pill. I don't have to do anything else. You know, so many different unanswered questions. And then like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people are afraid to ask those questions of their doctors. You shouldn't be. I implore you to ask as many questions as you can before you leave his or her office. Because, you know, there's not, no such thing as a dumb question if you don't know the answer. Right. And with a new diagnosis like diabetes, in many cases, people don't know the answer.
0: And there's also a lot of conflicting information. I think it's yes. you know it's one it's kind of disheartening for, for someone who's just been hit with some some new diagnoses, which is going right. to turn the world upside down. Mm-hmm. And you you're supposed to go out there, especially if you're not in healthcare. And so where do you begin to even ask questions? You know, if you go right. on Google and you, you get a million exactly. websites telling you to do this, do that. Uh, so I think it can be overwhelming, which is why I'm glad we have you here to, mm-hmm. to really just, uh, you know, demystify, you know, the diagnosis yes. of diabetes in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we, you know, we touched upon the different types of diabetic diagnoses, pre-diabetes, type 2, type 1, and of course, gestational Uh, for pregnant women. Uh, So let's look at, uh, you know, the path, pathophysiology, if you will, of diabetes itself, what causes it, what is going wrong, or what is going on in the body with the insulin for it to to not work like it should?
1: Okay, so insulin is the gatekeeper, if you will, to that takes, um, so you eat a meal, you get glucose and carbohydrates from that meal Well, your body, your cells, your individual cells need that glucose for energy. Each individual sh- cell in your body needs glucose for energy to help you, you know, f- for the particular cells or organs or whatever they're destined to do to work. And so insulin, like I said, is the gatekeeper. So when you take in a meal, you have this glucose surge in your bloodstream. The insulin allows the... Um, glucose into the cell, right? After it is bound to the receptor, the insulin receptor, then it allows the glucose to come into the cell. Well, when your body doesn't make insulin, right? Then the glucose can't get into the cell. So then there's there's a buildup of blood sugar in your body. That's type one. When you make insulin, but your receptor, so you have insulin, your receptor no longer works. It stops working because it's been downregulated because over, that's why type 2 develops over time. Because as we eat and eat and eat, your, your body signals insulin to work. It's letting in as much as it can. Then it gets overworked and it gets overloaded. And the <laughs> receptor just shuts down. I'm done, I'm not letting anything else in. Well, when you develop insulin resistance because the receptor won't let anything in, right? Then you get a buildup of sugar. And so that's how you get those elevated glucose levels, right? And so that's what happens with diabetes. Type one, we don't have enough insulin so we have to inject it in for it to work. Type two, you have insulin, but the receptor is not, cooperating properly. So then you can't get the glucose into the, into the cell for it to work properly. And that's where all your problems start.
0: I see. So Mm -hmm. insulin seems to be the key factor in, in this whole, uh, diabetes diagnosis. Am I right?
1: Yes. So to speak, (laughs) it really is. It's, it's a whole, uh, carbohydrate toxicity kind of thing. Uh, for type two. And and we focus more, you know, type one is equally as important. Um, But again, the only treatment for that is insulin for life, endogenous or injected insulin for life. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can modify your diet and do all that, but it won't go away. With type two, you can affect the health of your receptors by changing your eating habits and changing the amount of stress on that receptor, where in some cases, people who have lost a considerable amount of weight have reversed their um, diabetic numbers,
0: right? That's true. Um,
1: nah.
0: That's true. That's true. Yes. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: speaking of stressors on onto your system, um, you know, one of the common stressors you often hear about is sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and and so tell tell us a little bit about uh, you know the impact sugar has because I, I know that we're living in a society now where sugar is ubiquitous. I mean, it's everywhere. Everywhere.
1: Everywhere.
0: Yeah. And according to the American Heart Association, I remember looking this up. They want men to get no more than 36 grams of sugar. And women are restricted to or advised to uh, uh, limit their intake to about 25 grams of sugar a day. But one can of Coca-Cola has 39 grams of sugar. So... Correct. (laughs) Correct.
1: Exactly. And I was going to show you this... um, little analogy that I, I put together because when I talk about it, people often uh, can't even fathom that they're taking in that much sugar. But as you said, there is sugar in everything. Um, sugar is used as a preservative, but it's also used to enhance the flavor. A lot of the processed foods have sugar in them. They put high amounts in so that, well, as it sits on the shelves, uh, and you go and you buy it uh, a week or a couple weeks or a month later that it still tastes palatable enough to make you want to continue to come back and buy it. That's all a part of the processing, right? So, it, is it sugar toxicity is a thing? And we have been programmed. Our palates have been programmed to crave sugar, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you if you ever have tried to stop. Eating sugar or you go on a sugar fast and that kind of you know, you get the headaches and you get all this because your body is used to it and craves it, you know, and you end up craving it. It it emits that whole feel-good hormone, the dopamine feel-good hormone. So uh, unfortunately, marketing doesn't help with all of the food and the way they enticed you. Every other commercial was a food commercial, especially if you're dieting, right? (laughs) (laughs) Everything on TV is about food, but um, it, it, it helps us to be informed. You know, it's okay to indulge every now and then, but it does help us to be informed. Sure. And yeah, 25 grams, 38 grams, that's a hard and tight number when you think about it in totality. So I'm just gonna share my screen here and show you that on average, the average um, adult can get 150 or t- intake without even thinking about it. 150 to 170 pounds of sugar in a year Wow! Wow. in a year allow me to share my screen and i'll show you how it goes let's see all right and i'm gonna put it in presentation mode oh not the wrong way so yeah so like i said here Mm-hmm. The average American consumes 150 to 170 pounds of sugar a year. That roughly breaks down to about one fourth to a half a pound of sugar a day. Let me show you how that can happen. So you have 30 to 60 teaspoons of sugar, right? That's in a 24 hour period. If you take in 30 teaspoons of sugar, that's a fourth of a pound within 24 hours,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? 120 teaspoons equals one pound of sugar. One fourth pound of sugar is 30 teaspoons. One half pound of sugar is 60 teaspoons. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So in a 12 ounce can of soda, just a 12 ounce can, you have eight teaspoons of sugar Mm -hmm. in that one can. Let's say you drink four cans of soda in a 24 hour period, right? That's your 32 teaspoons. 30 teaspoons is a fourth of a pound. So you see how easy it is just by drinking soda.
0: And what that's count? not counting other things that you're you're eating and Not think- even.
1: We haven't even considered the other foods yet. All of which if they're processed are loaded with sugar. More teaspoons than this. And that's not even talk about supersize. <laughs> You're 16, 24, 32 ounce gulps. <laughs> Forget about it. And that's just drinking. And by the way, drinking calories is the fastest way to put on weight. Because it's so easy, right? And you okay. don't realize. You just drink, drink, drink. You have one for breakfast. You drink one mid-morning. You have one for lunch, mid-afternoon. Maybe another one for dinner. If you drink soda all the time, and even many of the fruit juices, and people think, Oh, fruit juice. Fruits are fruits are healthy and good for you. And this kind of, and fruits are, but when they add added sugar, it's the added sugar that we are concerned about. So as 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 you alluded to earlier, American Heart Association recommends six teaspoons a day for women, nine teaspoons for men. But of course, you know we probably get so much more than that. But that's just something to be mindful of. And again, as a diabetic, very very important to monitor that. So um, I, I implore people to read, start reading their food labels. Read your food labels, so then you know exactly, because now they've changed it. Michelle Obama has, um, you know while uh, President Obama was in office, she and and Congress, they redid the uh, food labels because they found that the foods that the processed foods that we were eating led to the epidemic of obesity. And so, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I just wanted to share that with you guys uh, as far as sugar goes, just to be mindful
0: and Thank to you. know that,
1: um, you know, you have to, it will sabotage your weight loss goals, sabotage your diet, dietary control over your diabetes and other illnesses um, if, you, if you're not mindful.
0: And the unfortunate thing is you do have people who are trying to lose weight, but they don't find, you know, they don't, they're not realizing any results. And so demoralized, they stop, they stop trying, you know, the old why bother? I'm only, you know, just going to gain weight, but they don't realize just how, much sugar is hidden in some of the things, even the healthy foods, like you had, uh, uh, you know, on your list there, you know, they'll advertise protein, but but they're packed full of sugar. They're packed full of everything. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Especially like your low fat people think low fat or diet be mindful again, read your, um, your nutrition labels because they'll remove the fat, but then they add more sugar because it still needs to taste palatable enough for you to want to buy it, right? Um, you know, a lot of our fruit uh, fruit added yogurts. People think, oh, I'm on a diet. I'm eating this yogurt with my with the strawberries in them, with the berries in. When they add that fruit, they add sugar. It's not just the fruit; they've added added sugar. Because you know, a lot of times we might get mm, certain kinds of blueberries, blackberries, and it may not be as sweet. Mm-hmm. So they they add sugar to make it palatable, and also to help preserve it while it's, you know, in the grocery stores.
0: That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, for for those, uh, you know, because I know there's a little bit of confusion uh, with this, but uh, people have to understand that fruits, the actual whole fruit, you know, such as the apple or the orange, they're often packed full of fiber. Yes, So Definitely. Compared to the fruit juice that you get at the store, right? Which is just giving you all of that sugar without any other fiber.
1: Correct. And that's the thing. And that's, that's the whole thing with people who who are into the practice of juicing. You know, and I don't, I don't knock that if you take the fiber or you take the uh, the pulp that after you've juiced and gone through the machine and maybe use that, putting it in some muffins or, you know, making it into a smoothie or doing something else. I, I usually say do a smoothie because, you know, then that way you can get all the fiber and the uh, vitamins and minerals and things from the actual fruit itself, as opposed to juicing and squeezing everything out. But, you know, it becomes a personal uh, preference. Um But yeah, if you juice at home, you know at least you're you're doing something better than buying the juice from the grocery store with the added sugars in it. So, um, you know, just a little food for thought.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for that. So Mm -hmm. now, you've just been diagnosed uh, diabetic. Not you per se, but you you know this this hypothetical patient.
1: He's just Mm -hmm. been
0: diagnosed diabetic. Um, What are some of the symptoms that? he or she or they can expect to experience um, if they don't manage your diabetes properly? I know that thirst is one of um, mm-hmm. the more common symptoms, but what are some things that they can expect um, if they don't uh, you know, do a lifestyle change or maybe adhere to, to some uh, you know, medications that are prescribed?
1: Okay, so yeah, early on, perhaps even if you're diagnosed with prediabetes, or um, diabetes, people may experience symptoms, like you said, of uh, excessive thirst, um, increased urination, you might be fatigued, you might have sores or wounds that don't heal as quickly as they, as they normally used to. Um, so those are some of the early on symptoms that people might develop, numbness or tingling in their fingers or in their toes or extremities. Um, those would be signs that, okay, hey, something is wrong, and you know your body better than anybody. Um, and so if you note that you're developing certain symptoms you know it's just not right or you can't explain it, then I would say go see your doctor so you can be um, tested. Um, but after you've had been after you have been diagnosed with diabetes or even pre-diabetes, and if you don't do anything towards improving what got you to that situation, then the dangers will continue. And then, so your body is still in glucose or carbohydrate toxicity overload. And that um, inadvertently affects your blood vessels where you end up with blindness. So problems with diabetic eye disease, you can get blindness, cataracts Um, with your kidneys, you get kidney failure with your extremities. You can get Peripheral vascular disease or development, because again the blood vessels are affected, so blood flow is not sufficient, mm-hmm. and ultimately, uh, in time, that causes you know um, necrosis or gangrene, and then you get you know, legs and feet, and limbs amputated. Mm. Yeah, and so that's why it's you have an opportunity to affect your long term outcome, um, and it's getting the information and then utilizing it to your advantage so that you can prevent a lot of those complications from developing. Wow. People wow. develop uh, diabetic neuropathy where they have, you know, pain in their legs because the nerves are affected because of the sugar, you know, toxicity, uh, so many different uh, things that, again, you don't have to suffer. We all probably have family members or friends or neighbors down the street who we know oh, they had that, they had the sugars or they had diabetes and, oh, yeah, Mr. Johnson, he had his leg cut off, yeah, he got the diabetes and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be that way.
0: Wow. And, you know, uh, I'm glad you say that because one of the most common things that I've heard uh, Mm -hmm. from patients and people, um, you know, is that it's genetics, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I have this disease because it's genetics, because, you know, somebody in my family had it. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: what's funny is they'll pick somebody just some random person that is right. somehow related, you know, my cousin's brother's second son, you know, had diabetes 10 years ago and I got it. And somehow that <laughs> somehow they are, you know, they got it from them or because they share right. the same distant bloodline, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm glad to hear a physician saying that, no, it's, it's, you have a choice. Uh, you have it within your power to stop these things or from even mm-hmm. getting to, to the point where you're gonna get your foot amputated or or get on a, a dialysis or something like that. So, Correct. you know, it's it's wonderful to hear that. Now, yeah. with all these complications that, you know, that people are facing, um, you know, in your book, you talk about a seven-step diabetes management plan. I was wondering if you could share, share that uh, seven-step plan with us.
1: Yes. So you want to um, definitely make sure that you build a support group. Okay. So once you get the diagnosis, you know, build yourself a support group. And that would be your family members, you incorporate them into helping you out because living with diabetes is, is a hard task, but it's not, it's not, it's it's doable, right? But again, you'll need support, dietitian, your primary care physician, your optho. Opt- ophthalmologist, because you want to be checked for diabetic eye disease um, on a regular basis. You know, if you have a dentist, you know, again, a primary care doctor can orchestrate a lot of different things where uh, if he finds that there's some failure in some of your organs, then they can, you know, refer you accordingly. So again, just building that support team, a counselor or a therapist, because again, you know, some people get the diagnosis and they're depressed or they don't know how to you know, process that or deal with it. So, building a support team, getting informed. You want to make sure that you get informed. You inform yourself on everything. So, you just got this diagnosis of diabetes. You want to inform yourself on everything that you need to know about it. You want to know how the medications affect you. You want to learn and know how to eat the proper foods. You want to learn as much as you can to improve your health. Right? Um, get getting, so lose weight, lose weight is another one where again, it has been shown that most people who end up developing, most adults who end up developing type two diabetes are overweight or obese. And so even losing a little bit of weight, 5% of your current body weight could greatly affect your hemoglobin A1C numbers and take you from either the diabetic range to pre-diabetic or from pre-diabetic range to uh, no diabetes.
0: That's the number. Hemoglobin A1C is the value uh, that determines, uh, you know, essentially gives a, 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 a an illustration of your blood sugar control. Am I right?
1: Yes, yes. And it is a three-month average. So hemoglobin A1C, uh, C, it stands for glycolated uh, hemoglobin. And so The hemoglobin is the part of the body that carries, a part of the blood cell, excuse me, that carries the oxygen and glucose adheres to that. And that's why it's glycolated hemoglobin. So it adheres to it. A rare blood cell may last for anywhere from 60 to 90 days. So then that's why over a three month average, that hemoglobin A1C number will let you know how much sugar has been in your bloodstream over those three months. That's what they look at in the lab when they determine that number. Um, And so you have five, five point, less than 5.7 or 5.4 to 5.7 is pre-diabetes, right? I'm sorry, is normal. 5.7 to 6.4 is pre-diabetes. And then above 6.4 or above 6.5 is considered diabetic.
0: Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So that's, you know, for someone who goes into the doctor's office and they tell them what their hemoglobin A1C level uh, C numbers are uh, mm-hmm. that should really explain that you know because sometimes people just have a number they have a numerical value and they right. don't know what to do with it what does that mean
1: you know <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and that's and that's what I mean about asking questions like, what are you talking about what does this mean what you know but that's the explanation and that's what you should get um, people should know and readily know. Cause I'll often ask you, well, what are your numbers? And you should know what that means. When I say, what are your numbers? If you're a diabetic, right? you know, I'm talking about your hemoglobin A1C. So, oh, it was six, it was seven. You know, I've had patients come into the ER with 14, 15s. Wow. Yes. Which is diabetes out of control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is just a, a complication waiting to happen. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now so, what are
0: some other ways, uh, some other steps please.
1: Um, so you, you want to focus on food. That means focus on the right foods, you know, which foods can I eat? Which foods are harmful to me? Um, you know, and there's different ways to go about it. I'm not saying starting any kind of fad diets or anything like that. It's a matter of, okay, now I'm going to incorporate more whole food, um, predominantly plant-based, you know, um. Because it has been shown, studies have shown that people who have even gone vegetarian or vegan um, have greatly improved their um, outcome as far as type 2 diabetes. And some of them have even reversed it to where they no longer have numbers higher than 6.4. They usually hang out in the sixes, you know, or high fives. Wow. But that's because you're not eating all of that processed excess added sugars. You eat Mm -hmm. mainly, predominantly, uh, you know, because even um people who are vegan so even the dairy you know your cheese and your dairy products have a lot of saturated fat in them um, which leads to other other problems so again you just want to be mindful of the foods that you eat and how they can help you as opposed to hurt you you want to get active so developing an exercise program or some kind of physical activity regimen you know get a workout buddy Get, get, you know, a group of girlfriends, you can work, walk around at lunch, you know, or however you incorporate whatever activity you like to do, you know, then you need to do that because that goes a long way to helping you burn calories, helping your body use insulin more effectively. Um, and it just improves your overall outcome as far as diabetes and other illnesses go and just improving your health, you know, altogether. So getting active. Um, is, is another one. Uh, getting trim, again, that's the whole losing weight kind of thing. But um, you want to also make sure that you get ready. So you want to kind of develop that diabetic mindset. And what does that mean? Well, I have diabetes, but diabetes doesn't have me. Mm-hmm. So then you make your mind up that day that you're going to do what you need to do to be around for however long God grants you, right? So you identify your why. I often tell my clients and patients, identify your why. Why is it that you want to live a healthier life? Why is it that you want to take control of your health? Why do you want to beat this diabetes? Is it, um, you know, you have a grandchild, grandchildren, your spouse, your children, upcoming wedding, you want to graduate, whatever the case may be, identify your why, because often when it gets hurt and it does, and we all fall off the bandwagon, I fall off the bandwagon. I fell off, you know, not too long ago. <laughs> but we pick ourselves up and we get back on right? Right. because it's a daily struggle. Living with diabetes is a daily struggle because you have to make the choice. Do I want this piece of cake or do I want this apple? You know what I mean? And, and in certain situations, because eating is social, it might be hard to make those choices and decisions, you know. So but again, that's where I when I loop back to the support system and everybody else being in your corner, you know, and behind you, helping you along the way, then that goes a long way in helping you remain and, you know, get to and remain successful. You want to manage your stress, right? Um because stress, again, is inflammatory to the body. So you want to make sure that you manage your stress, um, yoga, meditation, reading a book, going away into a quiet place in your home, you know, reading your Bible, praying, you know, maybe just sitting, whatever it is to de-stress, getting a massage, you know, because that goes a long way too in helping you deal with all of the stress of managing diabetes. Mm-hmm. Because nobody knows but you when you're when you're going through it, you know, you can talk and and share things with people, but you truly experience it. And so you some people internalize the stress and don't talk enough or let it out. So those are some of the steps that I think are, are, are very important. But getting informed most definitely, um, you know, is a, is a great start. Again, knowing when I say getting informed, I mean, getting informed about diabetes as a whole. Um, and understanding. So we have to continue this dialogue. You know, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. That's coming to a close. But I think we should continue the dialogue every day, every month, all right. year.
0: Well, and I, and I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. doctor. I mean, mm-hmm. you're looking at about, uh, last time I checked, about 11% of American adults are considered diabetic. Mm -hmm. And they estimate that one in three, because you have to factor in the 88 million that are pre-diabetic. Correct. So you've got 10% diabetic right now. You've Mm -hmm. got 88 million, uh, you know, that are pre-diabetic and are on their way to being diabetic. So they're saying that, you know, within a decade or two, we might see one in three adults being diabetic in this country. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. If if people don't take a stance now and start doing something about it, see, we need to be the change now for the future generations. Mm -hmm. You know, when people say, oh, well, it's genetic. Uh, Not really. No, let me take that back. Yes, it can be. However, what it more so is, as opposed to genetics and the genes and the DNA, is the uh, cultural habits. That yes. have been passed down through the generations, the, the way that we eat, you know, the soul food dinners in celebration of various events. Everybody brought, you know, the potluck. You bring Who brought the mac and cheese? Who got the candy yams? Who has a peach cobbler? And who bring, you know, all of this, that, and the third, right? That's how we have been raised and what we did when we celebrated and how we ate. Well, how it's prepared, how much How many pounds of sugar goes into all that stuff? But Mm -hmm. it's good, right? Oh yeah. That's what we know. It's hard to say. People, oh, you can't eat that. What do you mean? Right? So that's hard. But that's the generational uh, eating habits that have been passed down. Mm -hmm. So when people say it's genetics, it's not necessarily totally due, especially type 2 diabetes and the obesity epidemic. It's not, you know. Uh, we have become less active as a society, you know. And when I say intentional, again, you have to be intentional to say I'm gonna get get up and go and walk after work every day, or I'm gonna make sure that I exercise five, to, four to five, six times a week. That's intentional, mm-hmm. and it takes effort. Right. Because, again, we are not as mobile as we used to be. We don't walk places anymore. You got electric bikes, electric scooters. You have vacuums and vacuum the floor for you. These little robotic circular things. I even have one. <laughs> <laughs> the remote control. You only have to get up and turn the TV. You know, everything's electric or technology uh, driven. And so we don't move as much as we used to. So you have to be intentional to get your get your uh, workout or get your calorie burn in.
0: Now, I'm going to give you a scenario because I grew up in the church. And Mm -hmm. so some of the things that you're saying, you know, I I lived it. I experienced it growing up. Mm -hmm. Okay, And, uh, you know, my hometown, uh, North Greece Road Church of Christ, you know, some of the members are uh, have joined us for this podcast. Um, Now I'm in Westchester, Westchester Church of Christ. So, (laughs) you know, I'm sure they're going to give me a nice talking to after this. But I want to give you a scenario. Yes. Right. You you have a church event, uh, you know, uh, thereafter, you have a church potluck. Everybody brings in stuff. You got the, the sweet tea and all these different things. That's right. But then you say grace <laughs> that the Lord turns this into you know, something that's going to nourish our bodies. That, right. I want you to go into to that mindset a little bit because I, I go hard on my people because I care about them. Uh, you know, it's not to criticize them out of malice, but it's to bring to light certain habits that, you know, that are detrimental um, and, right. and not necessarily saying my congregations are doing this or anything like that, but it is, uh, you know, uh, many a times found in, in African American communities and, and and church church uh, activities.
1: Most definitely, most definitely, and so uh, because again, we we are um, entrenched in our traditions, and traditionally, even in the Black Church, you know, we we eat um and we eat what is prepared and what is prepared is how we were taught it was prepared and it may even go you know way back to uh slavery where you know there were festive events and people prepared or the the slaves prepared uh great meals out of what they were given so they were given the undesirable parts of the pig you know the chitlins right because they the masters whatever didn't want to oh eat that you know so they took the chitlins and redid it and made it into a a gourmet delicacy in our community right Mm -hmm. um you know sweet potato pies you know they didn't really they, they had to grow their own you know fruits and vegetables so they would take the the yams and make them into candy yams and make them into sweet potato pies and these kind of things your greens they would throw in the ham hock right because that was the only piece that Massa gave them, so I'm saying all that to say, and then these traditions are passed down over time. So, you know, unbeknownst to a lot of us, again, unless you're kind of educated or informed on the the nature of the food that you eat and and what goes into it and all that kind of thing, you're just going with status quo. You know, so it it pays again to to learn to know what you're eating and why and the history behind it. And especially if you are um, subjected to these chronic diseases that, or illnesses that are developed as a result of our eating habits, um, then people aren't compelled to make a change. Like you said, they pray over it. You know what you're eating. Now, if you know what you're eating is bad and you keep eating and keep eating, and you know you're a diabetic and you shouldn't be eating it, yet you're praying to God to help you, well, that's kind of um, hypocritical. (laughs) Because you know what to do. You just choose not to do it. And you say, Oh Lord, I pray you just heal my body. But did you do what you need to do? Because the Lord can help us. But we have to help ourselves too. Amen. Yeah.
0: Amen. Very well said. And and I love that coming from a doctor because it's 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 a theme that I often harp uh, you know, with these podcasts, you know, with you know, some of the the topics that we've covered. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that and and the fact that, you know, one one thing that seems to be very common um, with all of my guests is the emphasis on plant foods or a or plant-based diet. And mm-hmm. it, it, it seems almost foreign to hear that these days because, you know, everything has not just sugar, but, you know, everything is meat and And processed and everything, you know, where it it almost seems like, what what do you mean eating (laughs) plant-based, you know, like, what what does that even look like for the average person? Um, But, you know, I, and and I'm guilty of that too, because I I know that um, it's not easy to, to incorporate, uh, you know, to, it's not easy to change something you've done all all of your life. Let's just start right there. Right. Right. It's just not something that you can just do like that. But I I like that your first step in in terms of diabetes management is to find a support group, because I find that with a group of friends or with a group of people who believe in you or who keep you on track, you can Mm -hmm. do anything.
1: Right. Absolutely. You just have to want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And even yes, we have uh, typically over time somehow gotten to that notion that we have to have meat with every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we really don't, you know, people think, oh, well, if you don't eat meat, you can't get your protein, but you can get ample amounts of protein from eating fruits and vegetables. Ample. Just think about those animals, even the cows that you eat. What do they eat? Grass. The giraffe, what do they eat? But look how big they are, right? They don't eat meat. So you don't need meat, but, you know, the meat packers and warehouses and farmers, you know, paid X, Y, Z in the marketing. And it just has you conditioned into thinking you need meat with every meal, you know. So starting off, yes, it's difficult. People say, oh, I'm just I just need that texture. I just need it. But now because I am a pescatarian, Uh, most of my kids are vegan. Right. And so I ended up cooking more vegan like Um, and they have out now because it seems more and more people are getting on on board with it which is great but they have a lot of um, meat substitutes so you know Beyond the Beef, Impossible Burger, Gardein, Morningstar, everyone has their own take and more and more are coming out every time you turn around on uh, meat substitutes. So you can try and, you know, you have to get creative with your meal prep and everything else. But, you know, I use the, um, the, imita- the, the meat substitute crumbles, like when I make spaghetti or tacos or chili. And, you know, you can really hardly tell the difference if it's seasoned appropriately and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's a process and you have to be intentional. And, and again, identifying your why would keep you probably more so on track than, than that.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing mm-hmm. that. Wow. Now what about uh, somebody who's just been diagnosed and they walk out of there uh, many a times they're probably started on something like metformin mm-hmm. uh, or another oral, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, medication for them mm-hmm. to, to, you know, one movie or something. Mm-hmm. What, do they do if they want to, if, if they're looking for, uh, something different? Cause I know a lot of people are always looking for herbs and supplements and everything like that. Um, maybe just to, to sort of give their bodies, uh, added help in, in terms of, uh, you know, managing the, the, you know, helping the insulin work a little bit better, but are there any supplements or herbal uh, products that you you can recommend would be helpful uh, to, to somebody who is diabetic and you know just looking for something more than just taking a pill every day
1: um, yes there are um, quite a few herbs and supplements that are out there again more studies need to be done there's only been you know a small number of studies on these different vitamin supplements some have shown great promise but it's not to say that this is in lieu of taking the medications you've been prescribed by your doctor. All of this is just to enhance, you know, on your healthy eating journey. Um, and so vitamin D vitamin D three is a, is a, is a good one, uh, to maybe start taking. If you don't take a vitamin D three pill, then it might be beneficial to you to do so. Um, vitamin D helps, um, as an antioxidant, we don't, we find that we don't get enough uh, vitamin D, you know, lately again, because we're indoors a lot or we're wearing clothes that cover us up, you know, and don't really get out in the sun much. We might be working long hours, especially now, you know, with daylight savings, right? Um, Daylight savings causes it to get dark early. So we miss that sun. Um, And so vitamin D helps with uh, improving Uh, insulin resistance. And so it helps your body utilize uh, insulin uh, a little better, right? So vitamin D, vitamin D is a good one. Another one would be uh, cinnamon. Cinnamon has been shown to help with decreasing the blood glucose level or the blood sugar, decreasing hemoglobin A1C uh, and helping, you know, normalize your, your sugar levels. So I think they make cinnamon tablets, which you could take. And, you know, if you chose to just do that, or if you want to sprinkle cinnamon on your foods, put it on your oatmeal, you know, it's just the little things, put it on your oatmeal, put it in your smoothie, um, on your yogurt, different stuff like that, just to enhance the flavor. And yet cinnamon is, um, has been shown to to be able to help with um, improving your blood glucose. And then green tea. Green tea, Uh, drinking green tea is is a great way to help boost your metabolism. Uh, That helps to, green tea is also a great antioxidant and it helps, and I'm sorry, I misspoke. Vitamin D is not an antioxidant. Green tea is an antioxidant, uh, but again, it helps to increase your metabolism. Um, Antioxidants, pardon?
0: Go ahead, please, I'm sorry.
1: Antioxidants um, help because it helps to combat Uh, free radicals, which ends up being oxidative stress and free radicals happen when there's too much uh, sugar in our blood system. It's an inflammatory process. When you get free radicals, those free radicals attack our cells, right? And cause damage within blood vessels and things like that. And so that's why antioxidants are good because it helps to combat uh, the foreign invaders, which are the free radicals, helping your immune system and, um, and the like. Helping you heal from illnesses and disease processes.
0: Wow. Sorry, that's
1: all I was going to add.
0: No, no, that's perfect. Wow. Thank you for uh, Mm -hmm. clarifying on that. Uh, To those supplements, could we add fiber? Because I know we mentioned it a little earlier, how because we're drinking juices that have been separated Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the actual whole fruit, we're missing fiber. Would adding fiber to our diet play a role in, in terms of helping to just with that blood sugar balance?
1: Absolutely, fiber is a diabetic's best friend. Fiber is everybody's best friend, basically. And you can only get fiber from fruits and vegetables. Now they do have fiber supplements that you can add, the Benafiber and the uh, Metamucil and different things that you can add to water. But a better way to do it is to do it naturally with whole foods, whole fruits and vegetables. And whole just means that it came straight from the tree, not literally. Of course, if it goes through the grocery store and it's been that kind of thing, but that it's not processed. So basically, you have a whole apple that's a whole fruit, as opposed to sliced apples that are in juice with sugar and then on the shelf at the store. So we. whole food is basically um, undergoing as least the amount of processing as possible. But yeah, no fiber definitely uh, helps in so many ways, you know, to decrease your blood sugar. It makes you feel full. You get full faster. You eat less. Right. And it just helps to overall make you regular. So your bowel movements are great. Um, It just helps combat so many different things that yes, fiber is our best or should be our best friend. (laughs)
0: very well said now part of your book uh uh, get informed there is a section that talks about making time for the diabetic lifestyle what -hmm. does that look like
1: so what that looks like again is you've made your mind up because so many times we say oh i don't have time. i would work out girl but i don't have time or i would do meal prep but i don't have time you know um I, I, I say it like this. We make time for what we want to make time for. And if you are important enough to you, as well as others, your family members, your friends, then you'll make that time. You make the mindset, okay, I have this diabetes. Now, what am I going to do with it? How about I reverse it? So then make that your life mission to do whatever it takes. And, and again, it's intentional It takes work. It takes time. And you might have to sacrifice and do something else or do something different. If you need to get in. So they they, um, advocate that we get 150, at least 150 to 300 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise per week. That roughly works out to what, 30 uh, minute sessions, maybe five days a week, or you can 45 minutes to an hour, five days a week. Great but you have to be intentional with that. So I don't have time. I get up and I go to work and I do this. And when I get off, I got to do that, 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 that. So did I, right? So if an F means you have to get up a little earlier or sacrifice doing something else, maybe you can't watch TV. Or if you do work out while you're watching TV, your favorite show, but you just have to manipulate your schedule and make your mind up that you're going to do whatever it takes to be intentional about getting and staying healthy. That's what that means. Because uh, again, so many times people will say, I, I don't have time for it. Well, will you have time when you're in the hospital with the leg cut off uh-huh. and you won't be able to run errands like you used to, right? Or will you have time when your kidneys have failed and you got to make time now three days a week to go to dialysis or, you know, in order to sustain life? Will you have time then? So make time now so that you don't need to take time later.
0: Wow. Perspective right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect that's perspective so yeah. how, how do you how does one live their best lives um you know as a newly diagnosed diabetic
1: accepting your diagnosis recognizing that diabetes is a serious illness you don't have to look for her. you know somebody some family member uncle aunt grandmother grandfather big mama somebody has had diabetes and either didn't manage it properly or has had a negative effect because of it. So living your best life will be recognizing, okay, I have this disease. Now, what am I going to do? Because you can go on to live a very uh, fruitful and healthy life just by making some minor lifestyle changes. But you have to be committed to it.
0: Commitment indeed. So one other thing that's interesting was um, when I looked at the... uh, Breakdown of the thirty-four point two million Americans, a million American adults who are diabetic, Mm -hmm. it it broke it down by saying about twenty-seven million of those uh, of them were diagnosed as diabetic, and about seven million were undiagnosed. So
1: exactly, you
0: have millions of people walking around with diabetes and they don't know it.
1: Don't even know they have it. Don't even know they have it because diabetes like hypertension is the other silent killer, Mm -hmm. right? People walk around with blood pressures in the two hundreds and don't even know it because you don't feel anything until it's too late when you're having this splitting headache or loss of sight or your mouth is twisted and that because you're having a stroke because the damage has been taking place and then it just hits. Same thing with diabetes. The damage has been taking place over time. So like I said, this whole uh, obesity or overweightness epidemic and uh, people tend to, to put on more and more pounds, more and more pounds. Well, that's, you know, the sugar is building up and your insulin is not working, your receptors aren't working. And then over time, because there's so much sugar, it has that effect. And then when you start having the symptoms, the effects, um, the damage can be reversed, but some of the damage is done so that's why it's important to go to the doctor regularly right go to the doctor if you feel like you're having symptoms for something to get it checked out you know but by going to the doctor regularly you they're taking your numbers they're letting you know where you stand this kind of thing you know what your cholesterol is looking like you know you know what your blood sugars are looking like you know and you can do something about it but if you're young and you know you're healthy or even if you're older and you're healthy by adapting positive and healthy lifestyle habits you can prevent having to even develop or deal with uh, any of the uh, pre-diabetes or diabetes and or complications but yeah seven million people I was one of them because I didn't know I had it Mm. after I knew I had the gestational because I was going to the OB and she checked me out and did a sugar test and all that but then walking around after that I'm feeling fine I just decided to stop trying to treat myself and let me go to a doctor. So I went to the doctor and my doctor said, "You, your, your uh, hemoglobin A1C is elevated. I think mine was 7.3. Oh, wow. Yeah. 6.5 and above is diabetic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what are you, who, me? No, nah, I don't have diabetes. Said, yeah, we want you to take this metformin. You got to do this, that, and the third. I ain't taking no medicine. This is me, the doctor, the worst patients ever. <laughs> right but I said I'm gonna go I'm gonna eat right I'm gonna exercise I'm gonna drink more water now mind you I had been doing all that so I thought but again if you don't know or take the time to know that this food is sabotaging you and not helping you you think you're on the right path I'm on this dagger and I'm eating that 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 all the Atkins and Ketos and all this it's too much saturated fat and you're killing yourself on the inside you might look good on the outside so that's why it's important to eat those foods that are going to help you from the inside out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Thank you for sharing <laughs> your story and your experience. And that, that's something that, that I've commonly heard, that doctors make the worst patients.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> you don't want to listen? Can't nobody tell you nothing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So, you
1: nothing.
0: so Dr. Sherita Warfield, for those of us who want to get in touch with you, not just those in the, the podcast or right now, but those who mm-hmm. will watch this video later and they want to get in touch with you, maybe they want to uh, learn about your book or or get the book, get informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can they reach you? How can they get in contact with you? How can they follow up and, and stay in touch with your work?
1: Okay. Well, um, they can send an email if they'd like. You can send an email to info, I-N-F-O. At Dr. Sharita MD. That's D R S H A R I T A M D.com. That's my email address. I am on all social media sites at, at Dr. Sharita MD. That's my handle. Um, in order to get the book, if you want to get the book on diabetes for yourself or a loved one, a neighbor, They make great Christmas gifts. I'll give you a personally autographed copy. You can go to www.getinformedbook.com.
0: Getinformedbook.com. Now, for those who are just joining us or for those who are watching this video, uh, once it's been posted on YouTube, I just want you to know, that uh, we will include the uh, links to everything uh, Dr. Sharita has mentioned in the uh, uh, discussion. So it will be in the information uh, section of the video. So all of these links as as well as uh, her contact information will be posted down there. So you'll have the opportunity to go directly to uh, the website and purchase her book, uh, visit her website and even follow her work and of course you can send her an email should you have any questions. Um, so Dr. Sherita Warfield, I want to thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, it's been such a pleasure hearing it from a physician, uh, but also someone who's lived it, who's experienced a lot of these things that we've discussed regarding diabetes. Um, you know, I want to give you the final word uh, just to sort of say anything that's uh, left that's on your heart to share with the audience, and um, then we're going to go into Q&A. Yes, sir. Thank
1: you very, thank you very much, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, again, it has been my pleasure uh, to share my knowledge, um, to share my gifts with you all, and hopefully, again, you've taken something away uh, from this conversation. Um, It is just vitally important for us now more than ever to uh, take control of our health, to be intentional, to make positive and good choices and decisions, make, you know, the proper lifestyle changes because we only get one body, right? So if this one's messed up, where are you going to (laughs) live? So it is key, vitally key. Drinking more water, eating more fruits and vegetables, try incorporating a piece of fruit or vegetable in every meal, right? Theoretically, so there is a plate method that I'll share with you. So you have a circular plate, right? Divide that plate in half and then divide it in fourths. One half of that plate should be filled with fruits and vegetables, mainly vegetables, right? But fruits and vegetables, one half of the plate. One fourth of the plate is your protein, if you must have it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be meat, but if it is, you do one fourth serving, and then one fourth is a healthy grain or a healthy carb, sweet potato, brown rice, that kind of thing. So try that along with portion control. Exercising portion control is key because, again, we're being sabotaged by these restaurants with these super sizes or buy one, get one free burger meals and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so it's just important to, again, make the proper choices and ask yourself before eating that piece of cake, that candy or that sweet potato pie, (laughs) is this good for me? And if you decide to eat it, that's fine because moderation is okay too. You can treat yourself, but just know, okay, I'm gonna have to walk an extra half a mile or I'm gonna have to really get it in or I'm gonna have to cut out something else, you know, along the way. It's not gonna happen overnight. Developing that mindset, understanding, educating yourselves continuously, reading food labels, shopping the perimeter of the grocery store, I could go on and on. But these are things that you can do to further improve your health and improve your quality of life. Because ultimately, we all just want to what? Live our best life. So let's do it. Let's get on this journey together. Thank you again so much for having me. It's been my pleasure.
0: Amen. Thank you, Dr. Warfield.
1: hmm